Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. What's up, friends? Graham Bolden here. I am excited to have you here with us today for episode 441 of the Speaker Lab podcast. And today we're going to be talking about being introverted as a public speaker, which you might be surprised describes far more professional speakers than you might think, and myself included. Now, today I'm going to be joined by my friend Mike Bechtel, who has a book coming out later this year written specifically to help introverts thrive in an extroverted world while being 100% themselves. Mike has experience in ministry, academia, and most recently teaching, speaking, leading workshops for a pretty major coaching company we're going to talk about today. And now that he has retired, he's focusing more on building his own speaking business, educating a wider audience about communicating confidently. Now, having an introverted personality holds quite a few would-be speakers back from their dreams. But if you think that you have to be extroverted or be some massive people person in order to succeed as a speaker, that's just absolutely not true. It can be so tempting to feel like you have to to act fake or put on an extrovert mask in order to have an impact. But as Mike's going to share with us today, not only can introverts learn how to match the energy of any size audience from the stage, but your personality has many unique gifts that qualify you to make a very special impact. Finally, and I think this is the part that many of you listening are really going to gain a lot of value from. Mike is going to be talking about the strategies that introverted speakers can implement to conserve their energy while living a speaking lifestyle, meaning traveling, meeting, greeting guest members, audience members, all that stuff, networking. It can be very, very draining. And so we're going to walk through some different scenarios and and, and helping you set up boundaries so that you can have that much needed alone time to recharge while serving your audience and your clients. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Mike. Mike Bechtel. Enjoy. Hey, friends, Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Hey, I'm excited to uh, to have a, a friend here with us. We're going to be talking about a topic we, you know, in 440-something episodes, however many episodes we've done, uh, we have touched on this a few times, but we haven't done an episode completely dedicated to this. We're going to be talking about the topic of being an introverted speaker, which seems like an oxymoron, and uh, uh, we're going to be uh, debunking that today and why actually a lot of speakers, probably myself included, would fall into that introverted uh, camp. So excited to have uh, Mike Bechtel, who's joining us today, is going to be uh, talking about all things uh, speaking as an introvert. So Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, All right. First of all, why don't you give us a little bit of context before we jump into uh, the topic? Why don't you give us a little background? You have extensive speaking experience, been a big part of your career and journey. Uh, So maybe give us a little bit of background. I uh, actually started my career in ministry and in as a university professor. So that's where I got my first reps in front of groups. And then I was working on my doctorate at Arizona State and I was going for higher and adult education. I'd been a college prof for 
a bunch of years. And I thought, well, the next step, I'll be a college president. So I was going for the higher education administration side of it, but the department included adult education. And I had to take these adult ed courses, and that's where I got interested in how adults learn and what you can do and the impact you can make around that. I had a friend who was the director of training for a little company, actually a pretty good-sized company at the time, called Time Systems. This would have been in about 1988. They were the first ones to do those big, thick planners that everybody used and uh, did seminars around them. And so I just took him out to lunch and said, tell me about speaking. Tell me about training. And so he happened to have an opening. He was looking for somebody one day a week. And I had one day a week free. I was still a college prof at the time. And so for the next few years, I would do a seminar one day a week. And then I would teach four days a week. And then eventually that company was bought by Franklin Quest which is now Franklin Covey. Usually you know them for the seven habits of highly effective people. That's their biggest claim to fame. So I worked for them for about 34 years. And during that time, I did a couple seminars a week, corporate seminars, and um, they set them up. I would go into different corporations. And so over that time, I did about 3,000 seminars, uh, full-day seminars in that kind of a setting, which is kind of interesting for an introvert to stand in front of a group for eight hours a day that, that many times. But that's when I started seeing the value of what an introvert has that's different. Because most of the time when you think about speakers, you think, well, they have to be outgoing. They have to be um, really flashy on the stage. You have to have all the things that an extrovert has. And I thought, but I'm not wired that way. So is it possible for me to be successful without having to turn into something I'm not? And that's really where my journey began. I began writing about it. Um, I've got nine books out, same publisher as you. They're all with Baker Publishing Group. And I've uh, sold about a half million copies of those without much of a platform at the time. So those are some of the interesting things that come from an introversion perspective that you can do that's not quite the norm, but there's just real possibilities for introverts. Most of my books sold because they were um, sitting on those those round inspirational racks they have at CVS and Walgreens and, and, and Walmart and some of those. So people just saw them. And that's, uh, that's where they, they have sold. And so now I'm in a new place because I retired from Franklin Covey last year and never was able to use that as a platform. I didn't talk about my books or anything I was doing. I was just presenting in corporations. Uh, didn't want to have a conflict of interest. But now I have the chance to jump into my own speaking around my, the stuff I've written and helping some people with some of the issues they run into. Mostly around, most of my books are around communication and relationships. And so putting it in that context, maybe going back into corporations. So I'm in the building stage. I'm what you call the emerging speaker stage, even though I got the reps, but now I'm learning the business side of it. Interesting. Very cool. Do you, do you, uh, do you feel like then that, that uh, it's possible to be introverted and also be a successful speaker or are those two mutually exclusive? Well, it's working okay so far. In fact, most uh, we're both in National Speakers Association. They did a survey, and it was back in the 90s when I first joined, that they found that it was close to 60% of professional speakers are more on the introverted side. And 
the normal, the general population, it's about 30 to 50 percent. And that always caught me because I would go to seminars, I'd go to classes, and if I'm in the audience, I'm always thinking, what if they call on me? They're going to make me go up front. I don't know what I'm going to say. What if they embarrass me? Am I going to, am I going to look stupid? But if I'm up front, I'm in control of what goes on. I, and, and it gives me a different, it gives me the ability to craft what happens there. Plus, introverts probably are the strongest, one of their strongest traits is they, they have sensitivity. They pick up on an audience. They can read what's happening well. And so they, will, uh, they can build and change direction very much in the moment. And so I think a lot of the, the people that you have coming through your programs and the people that I've seen on stages, sometimes the introverts, they're not as loud and boisterous and flashy, but they impact people and give them hope that they can do something different that they didn't think they could change 20 minutes ago. And so I, I think there's a, it, they, won't, they will never become extroverts, but they can certainly make an impact in a whole different way. It's interesting that, that uh, perhaps a higher percentage of speakers are introverted than the general population. Why do you, why do you think that is? Well, I think it's uh, because introverts tend to be a little more reflective they think a little deeper. Extroverts tend to think faster. Introverts think deeper. And so because of that, they have more time to process and they're thinking of the meaning of things. It's very important for an introvert that I don't just get up and hope people like me and do a good job. I want people to change. I want people to have hope that something can be different in their life, not because they'll remember me and say, oh, he was so good, but that they went to this encounter where I happened to be up front leading it and they were able to say, okay, I'm going to do something now. I'm going to do something different. I can change. And I didn't know if I could before. So I think that that desire to make a difference is really strong with an introvert. It is for an extrovert too, but it's a driving force that says, you know what? I just want to get up there because I know I have something to say. I've been thinking for years I process things maybe a little deeper than some other people. It's like, this is my chance to take that and actually use it, make a difference for some people that, that uh, really could change their lives with it. Why, why do you think we assume that in order to be a successful speaker that you have to be an extrovert, uh, in the, and specifically in the context of speaking, but also, I guess, in the general population, I think oftentimes being an introvert is kind of, it's almost like a negative connotation. You know, like, I think that that's probably evolved and changed significantly in the past, in recent years, but oftentimes it's just the assumption that, well, I'm more quiet, I'm more introverted, I'm more reflective, therefore I, I can't be a speaker. Um, and that can't be further from the truth. So maybe speak a little bit to, to that. Why do we assume that in order to be a successful speaker, you have to be an extrovert? Well, it's we're not in an extrovert society, but it might feel that way because obviously the extroverts are talking and the introverts aren't talking as much. They're processing their thinking. And boy, you need both of those. If you had just introverts, we would be really deep, but nothing would get done. If you have just extroverts, there would be a lot of stuff happening, but it may not work. So the, the two together are just powerful in there. But I think about why do we feel like we can't? And that's probably one of the biggest things I've, I still struggle with. I think most introverts do, most people do, but especially introverts, because we see 
the people on stage and the ones that get the attention. It's like, wait, you got to watch this TED talk. You got to see this this person speak. They are amazing. And you watch them and you say, they're amazing. And I could never do what they do. I'm not them. So we compare and we see what they're doing and think, oh, I'd love to be able to have that kind of impact. It's like, I am not Tony Robbins. I am not John Maxwell. I'm not any of these people. I'm not Grant Howard. I'm not, I'm thinking of the people that I've worked with before and, and even Grant Baldwin. Um, that's, I am not you and you are not me. We're going to make a different impact on people because of the way that we approach them. So I think imposter syndrome is really big. That's why people, some people say, I would love to do it. But sometimes people say, okay, what do you need? I heard an interview one time where they said, what do you need to be a really powerful speaker? They said, you have to have good theatrics. You've got to be able to perform on stage and really work on that side of it. And I'm thinking, okay, that drives a lot of people away saying, I would love to, but I can't do what they do. So we assume that what we see is the way it's supposed to be done. And I just can't match up to that. So I, I want to build my skills. I mean, that's the people that connect with you. You've had such an influence on me over the years. And I look at that and I think you're helping so many people develop who they naturally are, not to become something they're not. And when they, when they finally realize, I can just be me, that's huge. And it can make a big difference for them. How do you find the balance of whenever you are, you're watching other speakers, you're learning from other speakers, and they may have a different uh, style of presenting or a different personality than you would, but there's, there's things you can learn from them. And so the balance of like learning from someone, but not emulating and copying them that, you know, that, that story, that delivery, that activity, that interaction, that whatever, that may work for them. Uh, here's how I can adapt it and it'd work for me. Or maybe I see that and I really want it to work for me, but it just doesn't. And so how do you kind of balance that? I'm learning from other people without mimicking or copying or ultimately like trying to turn my personality into something that it's not? It's a great question because it's, it's so, it's so relevant at the beginning of our when we're first entering that, especially. When I'm first starting and speaking, I want to copy people to a degree. You know, you, you watch Michael Jordan, you watch um, any of the greats in sports. Uh, I am not Shaquille O'Neal. He's taller than me. But when I look at people like him and I think, I want to do what he does. Well, you, you kind of try and emulate. My kids did that. They wanted to shoot baskets like Michael Jordan did. And they were not Michael Jordan, so they learned. They saw it. They said, I want to be able to not shoot the way he does, but I want to be able to get it in the basket. He does it well. So you learn the basics, but then it's a matter of really setting that aside and saying, okay, I got to be the best me possible. How do I do that? Well, I got to figure out my uniqueness. I've got to figure out how have I been gifted? What are my skills? What are the things that I use that actually make a difference for people and find a way to pull that up into the platform. So I enhance who I am. I think it's the pastor John Ortberg used to say, you want to become you -er. The more you -er you are, the more you can be the best possible version of you, that's where you really make an impact. And if I try to be like some of these people I see on stage, gosh, they sure have motivated me and they've inspired me and they've impacted me but I'm not them. And so to the degree that I try and copy them, I'm robbing 
my audience of the very thing that I have that can make the biggest difference for them. So I think when it comes down to, to that, it's a matter of, gosh, I just need to really understand my own uniqueness, the way that I've been created, the way that I've been made and gifted. It's like, let's study that and then develop the skills, practice, get the coaching, get the help that can make a difference in terms of where I go from there. Do you find that most speakers can be comfortable in their own skin from day one? Or is that, uh, and it sounds again, kind of ironic of, of learning to be yourself on stage, but do you find that most speakers really struggle with that? Well, I won't say most because we all have different temperaments, different personalities, but there are a lot of factors in our early upbringing of where we find our value. And a lot of us, and I think it's maybe a little bit more on the um, introvert side when you want to be a speaker is the people pleasing part of it. I want people to like me. And we have just been conditioned that way over the years so that if my value comes from what you think of me, then if I don't get the right score on a, on a uh, overview sheet at the end, then I don't feel good about myself. And so where do I find my, my value? If it comes from the opinion of other people, then I'm always a victim of whatever they're thinking. But if I can get to a place where I'm secure enough with me on the inside, it's like, so this is who I am. And if I, if I value that and realize that I have value to other people, that's not dependent on what they think but more of a service type of thing. I'm not worried about, when I can get to where I'm not worried about what you think of me as much as how can I serve you? How can I make a difference for you? Just based on who you are, who I am, in a real relationships, that's where things start to happen. So yeah, I think it's common, but it may be common for everybody, maybe not just at introverts. Do you think when we talk about being an introvert versus uh, being an, an, an extrovert that there's uh, again we kind of touched on this earlier that we assume that being an extrovert means that you're kind of this this life of the party that you're a big personality that 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 really comes out on stage i'm thinking about for myself personally like um i i tend to be more introverted off stage but i recognize in a especially in a bigger stage setting that you you have to be a bit bigger um and so i remember some advice i got early on in my own career that uh, you, you really kind of have to match the energy and the size of the room. Meaning if you're speaking to a room of, of 50 people, you're going to communicate very differently in your tone, your speed, your volume versus if there's 5,000 people in the room. And if you're speaking as if there's 5,000 people in a room and there's only 50, it's super awkward and vice versa is also true. So you do have to ramp it up a little bit, but again, that doesn't mean you have to be something that you're not. So how do you make sure that you, again, kind of match and balance the, the energy of the room or the size of the room by at the same time to the, the Ortberg quote of like being the you version of yourself. I think it's perfect because it's almost like there's two parts. One of them is going inward and f- really analyzing my strengths, my competence, my giftedness, my talents, what I have that I bring to the table that other people don't in that combination. And what I don't have as far as temperament and personality, those kind of things. And it, get that figure it out first so I know where I'm coming from. And then the second part is learn the skills of what it takes to be on a platform. I'm not pretending, I'm not acting. I can be myself at the level of a room of 5,000 people. I can be myself with 50 people. And, but that's, it's like, how do you learn that? 
that's where the skills come in. That's where speaker lab comes in. That's where coaching comes in. That's where getting the reps, speaking in every situation you can, not being afraid to go to the smallest group of people just to have that interaction and that and get the reps to get the practice and learn the differences. And I think the biggest part of that, I used to, someone told me once that about once a year, make sure you take a bit, put, put your phone in the corner and video yourself uh, speaking because you'll see things you had no idea were going on and you can correct them quickly. It's like, really? I'm doing that? In the other case though, I think the other thing is, is to have a professional coach somebody that you can invest in that will help you get to that level without trying. I think we're afraid, introverts are afraid, you're going to make me do stuff that is not comfortable for me and I'm going to have to start doing cartwheels and all the other things. It's like, that's not me. Well, a good coach won't make you into something you're not. It'll take what you are, customize it and craft a direction for you to go and help you be able to do that. So it's very definitely a skill that you learn just like anything else. Right. Uh, one thing that uh, I think oftentimes uh, speakers, introverts, extroverts alike can be confused by is thinking like when you're, you're on stage that it's kind of like this us versus them mentality and that the audience is out to get you. And ultimately the audience is, is on your side. So uh, some of that comes from just like that, that nervousness, that the butterflies, the adrenaline, the excitement of, of the moment. So maybe talk a little bit about like, how can we reframe nervousness where it's not going to become something that's ultimately debilitating and, and, and crushing when we're up on stage? I remember when I was first starting hearing people say that you need to avoid eye contact because if you look over people, then you're not looking right at them. And so you're not seeing how they're responding. And there's all kinds of other tricks people have. But basically, it's like, you know, just try to ignore the fact that they're there. And, and I have found that the thing that takes away the nerves in that setting the most is making eye contact with one person for at least one sentence and then moving on. So you're actually talking to that person. Now, all 12 people that are sitting around them are gonna think you're looking at them, but it makes that connection. Eye contact is, someone said it's the emotional handshake you have with an audience, and to be able to, to make those kind of connections. And then the old Jerry Seinfeld quote, of course, where he says most people at a funeral would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy, because there's something about in normal life, you don't have everyone in the room staring at you. When you're in front, they are. So we feel, like you said, they're critiquing us. They, they're waiting for us to mess up. And if we do mess up, they're going to say, oh, that was horrible. They're on our side. They want us to succeed. They don't want it to be uncomfortable. They want to learn. They want to grow. And they assume by the fact that you're standing in front of there, somebody vetted you. Somebody high enough up in their organization or association or whatever it is took, took the risk, paid for you to be up there. So they're assuming they must be good. They must be okay or someone wouldn't have put him there. So recognizing, I think, changing our, as John Acuff calls it, soundtracks, the things we tell ourselves. And he always says you should never believe all the things that you think. So when we have those kind of things to challenge them and say, is that true? Are they not on my side? Uh, and like you said, audiences, they want to, ex they're looking forward to experience, experience, that word, experiencing it with you to be able to uh, have that experience together where, hey, we're, we're sharing a common bond here, we're growing, and uh, they're looking forward to that opportunity. 
Yeah, I would totally echo that. Uh, every audience I've ever sat in, I'm I want the speaker to do well. You know, you don't want to see someone bomb. You know, I, if you're if you're there, you want to be inspired or entertained or learn or whatever it may be. Uh, and so you don't want them to be. You know, you don't want to get a couple minutes in and be like, oh man, how much longer is this? This is going to be a disaster. Nobody nobody wants that. The, the audience is absolutely on your side. Now, for an introvert, uh, especially when it comes to like leading up to the talk itself, where part of being an introvert versus being an extrovert is kind of where you you kind of draw energy from in terms of being around people versus being by yourself. And so let's say it's, it's, you, you've got a talk coming up. It's the morning of the presentation, uh, for some speakers, again, they love being around people for others, maybe not. So walk us through, like, what would you recommend or advise for an introvert in terms of just best setting yourself up for success in terms of, of delivering a presentation? I think the key is, um, the definition of an introvert, like you said, it has more to do with energy than anything else. Uh, it's not being shy. That's a totally different issue. It's um, because I'm fairly noisy and I'm still an introvert. And it's because I love being around people, but my capacity is more limited time-wise than it is with an extrovert. So I know that I might have a Volkswagen-sized gas tank and you've got a Lamborghini-sized gas tank. And uh, if either of them runs out, we're not going to be able to go anywhere. And so I have had to learn what my limitations are. And realize I can, I love the interaction and being out there and helping people, meeting people, doing those things. But there comes a point where I can just sense we're running out of steam here. And that's why you go to a party and after a while you'll say, I just need to go to the bathroom for a few minutes. I don't have to go, but I need to go in there just for, to catch my breath. And you go in there and there's 12 other guys that are doing the same thing. And so we learn from being able to just sense when that happens. That's why when I get to any kind of a venue, I want to, for me, it's been the most helpful is in plenty of time before I get there early and I will go out where the people are starting to arrive. And if I can, and if there's any way I can, I just go out and meet people. And I don't have to make a big thing. I don't even usually tell them I'm a speaker. I just go out and meet people. Like you're getting coffee and just say, so what brings you here today? Learn a little bit about them, have a real conversation, and um, go from one to the next. And I found people, I, I thought they used to be friendly to me because I was a speaker, and then I discovered they had no clue I was going to be up front. We're just making some contacts. I can pick up a little bit of information from a group or from a person that I can use on stage. I can re reference somebody that I just talked to. So I will meet people. It makes me more comfortable because it's like, Okay, we had a connection before we ever got started. And then I make sure that I have a break. And I know how long, for me, it's about 10 minutes. I make sure I end that and go someplace where I can have 10 minutes to myself. And all I do is just sit. I don't look at my phone, I don't do anything else. I'm not, I'm not trying to, I don't have any ritual, some people do. I just want to, to just enjoy the quiet. Because usually at the end of the day, when the last person leaves the room, everything relaxes inside of me. It's like, okay, that was awesome. And now we're done. And I get to recharge. I, the drive home, the flight home, I put on my headphones on the plane so nobody will talk to me so that I can just have that, that time to restore, recognizing the reality of that. But, um, but for, that's been the pattern for me is, is figure out what you need program it in. Don't be talking to people right up to the last second and 
if you need the space ahead of time. But making the connection just warms everything up and relaxes me. And I look at adrenaline, those nerves, reframing it, saying, okay, this is this is preparing me to be successful on stage. I need that adrenaline to be able to stay on, stay on top of things. You touched on this a little bit, but after, I'm curious, like what after the talk looks like, because you kind of alluded to this where before the talk, nobody has any idea who you are. And it's a very different dynamic. You know, they, they assume like you're a vendor or you work with a hotel or whatever, like, who are you and what do you, what are you here for? But afterwards, then like, oh, you're, you're that guy, you're the dude, you know, and people may want to talk or interact. And especially afterwards, they're, you know, assuming you do a good job and depending on kind of the nature of the event, people want to, you know, ask you questions or tell you a story or follow up with you or clarify something. And people just want your attention. Uh, and sometimes maybe it's like, can I buy your book? Can I get your autograph? Can I get a picture with you? And all that stuff is like, on one hand, really, really fun. And on the other hand, it can be really, really tiring and daunting. And so, how do you kind of balance what the experience is afterwards? Because what you don't want is for you to be completely fried or for someone to be like, oh, this is my this is my chance to meet Mike and Mike's exhausted and, and I got a fraction of Mike and it was not a pleasant experience. And so how do you kind of balance that afterwards of wanting to be fully engaged, wanting to be fully present with people, a lot of people wanting your attention, which can, again, deplete energy levels very, very rapidly. So what is like afterwards? Is it just that 10 minute block of like, okay, I, I just got off stage. I need 10 minutes to kind of reset and decompress and then I'll come out and from behind the curtain or like, well, walk us through that a little bit more. It's probably different for everyone. For me, I doubled the amount of time that the speech is supposed to take. So if it's going to be a 60 minute speech in my head, I am planning that this is a two hour presentation. And that second hour is coming off the stage and walking down among the people and being there. Um, not in a formal setting where there's a receiving line or anything. Um, if I'm at a book table, I don't sit. I stand. It just is a different dynamic if we're just having a conversation than if I'm sitting there and they keep coming by. It, it puts you on a little bit of a pedestal even though you're sitting down. I just want to have normal conversations with people because that's what they experienced up front. And that's what's going to uh, help meet their needs afterwards. And I think, okay, I... I can do this for an hour. I could do this this presentation plus that for two hours. Yeah, I'm going to be exhausted, but it's not time. You're, in fact, you. I've heard you say many times that, uh, and I think you were quoting someone else that speaking, uh, professional speaking, is really well paid manual labor. That you do your work, and afterwards, there's a big process of unwinding and everything else, but. You know what? I can hang on for an hour. I didn't think I could till I... It's probably good that I did training where I was on for eight hours a day. That I got used to the time frame. And hours it can be exhausting. But, in a, but I find the second hour almost energizing. When you're talking to people and they're asking you... It's, that's where you learn that you gave them something that... It's like, I think this is going to help me. And I just need one more piece of information. That's where you get out and really start applying some things. So I just I just make it a longer uh, segment. Yeah. Well, and also I think that, that that makes a great point that that's that's part of being a professional speaker is is not just I, I show up, I do my dog and pony show and I collect my check and I leave. But no, no, I, I'm, I'm there to interact with people, to serve people, to serve the client. Uh, and that doesn't mean that, you know, you are just at everyone's beck and call for whatever they need. You have to, you know, create some boundaries and, and guardrails for yourself. But at the same time, like part of I agree with you, part of the fun is interacting with people afterwards and, and answering questions or taking pictures or hearing their story or hearing, you know, how your talk or 
something you shared impacted them in some way. Like that's, you know, that's the meaningful, like in the, in the weeds, in the dirt work that, that we do. So to kind of put a bow on everything here, any final words of wisdom, Mike, for the speaker who, who is very introverted? Like I said, I, uh, I, I, I myself am fairly introverted, um, which is surprising to a lot of people. A lot of speakers that I know are very introverted and that, uh, I, we like being around people, but we're also plenty fine being, not around people and being home uh, or just being alone. So uh, any words of wisdom, especially just to encourage us, remind us that, hey, being an introvert and being a speaker are okay? You know, I, I think that you never want to let your introversion keep you from reaching your full potential as a person. Um, you know, j- just be really keenly aware of your unique strengths and find ways to use those as the foundation for your career. They should be your, I always say they should be your launch pad, not your landing pad. That those strengths, working on that unique combination of skills to craft a brand that's 100% you, but totally different than anybody else. I think it's Joe Calloway that calls it becoming a category of one. You're just you. But then develop those skills so you've got that customized approach. Um, I mean, it's, you didn't tell me to say this, but if people can get involved with you, if they can sign up for the podcast, if they haven't already, if they read your book, if they investigate, start exploring your coaching and the things that can do it, that's that's um, that's the best investment they can make because you guys are the experts at helping people become the best you possible. And so that's the professional side of it. You have to invest in yourself, but don't let those fears of the introversion um and I can't do this, the comparison. Say, no, you got what it takes. In fact, you'll be, if you do it right, I think there will be a point where extroverts can watch you in the platform and say, man, I wish I could do that. Yeah. Very well said. Mike, thanks for the kind words. And also, uh, in addition, uh, you've got a new book coming out later this year. People can go ahead and pre-order. Maybe tell us a little bit about the book and, and where we should pick it up. Okay, the book is called The Introvert's Guide to Success in the Workplace. Uh, Becoming Confident in a Culture of Extroverted Expectations. It's about introverts in a work environment, and uh, it'll be coming out October 10th, but it's already on Amazon for pre-order. And then the second thing that I should mention is that uh, I did put together something just for your listeners. It's called 14 Success Success Hacks for Introverted Speakers. And uh, it's just, just put it together last week. And it's something fun they can download. And I know your team's putting it in the show notes if they want to be able to access that. Absolutely. Yep. We'll have that available in the show notes. It's an awesome PDF. So, Mike, thanks for putting that together. Uh, Also, anywhere else that we can go to if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, My website is my name, uh, MikeBechtel.com. That's probably the easiest place. It's being shaped right now, being rebuilt. But it's... uh, that's the simplest place. The spelling, the link will be in the show notes as well. And the books are prime. They're just about anywhere, but Amazon, they're all listed. Awesome. Mike, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. I appreciate it, Grant. Thanks so much. All right, there you have it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, I want you to know that we do this podcast simply because we want to serve and support speakers like you. We don't charge anything for you to listen, but in return, we do have one small favor to ask. 
Would you be willing to subscribe to the podcast where you're listening right now? Hit that subscribe button. Also, leave us a rating and review with an iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to these podcasts. We read every single one of them and they also help other people to find the show. Also, if you are looking to take the next step in growing your speaking business, be sure and check out thespeakerlab.com. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com. We've got a ton of free resources and tools there. And you can also learn more about the programs that we offer, which include one-on-one coaching. Our mission here is to help you find the confidence, clarity, and clear path that you need to own your speaking success. So again, check us out over at thespeakerlab.com. As always, we appreciate you hanging out with us and we'll catch you next time. You're awesome.